Welcome to episode number 11 of the Beyond 24 Days podcast. Today we're going to talk about cooking in season. We'll go over Ken's pick and what's cooking with Brooks. So stay tuned for more. Welcome to the Beyond 24 Days podcast with your hosts, Brooke and Ken. Beyond 24 Days is focused on healthier living by promoting whole and natural foods while supporting your local, responsible producers. You can follow us on social media at Beyond 24 Days, where we share our food ideas and recipes. And now your hosts, Brooke and Ken. Welcome back, everybody. This is, well, I think I mentioned it earlier, but episode 11. Yep. Um, You know, I read somewhere that once you hit the magical 13 podcasts, that, that determines whether or not your podcast is successful or not. What do you say to that? Huh? I say we have two more episodes to go. So I guess we're going to keep on going. Guess we are. Um, so I guess in recent news, our podcast was shared uh, with some of my coworkers that I don't really go around telling people about the podcast. It's something that Brooke and I do um, just for our own, I don't know, what, why do we do the podcast? Just to share with people, I guess, our our journey with clean eating. We just want to share that with people. I think it's so much as we don't want to repeat ourselves a hundred times because we're asked a lot of questions a lot, and I feel like we were repeating ourselves. So this is sort of a way for us to put it out there and let everybody know at the same time. Yeah, and also it, it helps keep us accountable too, so... Although, if the podcast does end, please don't think that we've fallen off the wagon. I don't know. No, I, I don't think it will. I like doing this. But anyway, um, my, the podcast was shared with um, a bunch of people that I know. That I, I really don't really tell people much about it, but um, at first I was slightly, not embarrassed, but just, you know, this is like our thing that we do. And But um, actually, a lot of people came to me and had a lot of positive feedback for the podcast. So I, you know what, it turned out something that I was a little bit stressed about, but um, within a couple of minutes, I, it just went away, it dissipated. And I actually felt pretty good about it. And you know what, I don't think there's really anything to be, not ashamed, but and sort of like embarrassed about. We just, we just want to eat good food. We just want to eat real food. We want other people to sort of share on that with us. So that's that. So welcome to our new listeners. We enjoy having everybody. I keep looking at the the um, analytics for everything. And we have a pretty steady amount of followers in North America, but we also have, there's listeners in Ireland. Like it seems like the European countries, we have a lot of that. And then we had one from Australia. So I don't know. I I think maybe, I don't know if that's true, true or not. I often like wonder how, how true these analytics are, I guess. They're fairly accurate. And it also runs through the blog. And our blog also hits a lot more traffic than the podcast. So if you want to check us out, beyond24days.wordpress.com is our blog where we host. We try to put everything out that we talk about on the podcast. We try to air it at the same time on the blog. And if you follow the blog and you're a subscriber, I'm sorry, you'll probably get bombarded once a week for about five or six new posts. There's a way to set it up that you can automatically share posts like I do on Facebook. Every day at like 9.30 on Facebook, there's usually an update or a post from the Beyond 24-Day page. And that's purely just set up uh, as scheduled posts. I can do it with WordPress, but, you know, 
It's one of those things I have to sit down and figure out. Anyway, that's enough of me kind of blabbing on. Why don't we jump into our topic today, eating in season. Yes, eating and cooking. Uh, cooking in, in season. season. Right. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll start by saying that if you know what uh, produce is available to you at certain times of the year, you can make your meals a lot better. Um, if you cook something that has tomatoes in it in the winter, you're probably not going to get the best taste out of that as you would if you picked your tomatoes right out of the garden or got them fresh from a farm stand or a farmer's market in the middle of summer. It, it just The quality of your food is going to taste so much better when you learn what's available to you in each season. That's also one of the things that was highlighted in the Cook series on Netflix and also Cooked, the book by um, Michael Pollan, is he talks about eating in season and how you know we don't have pumpkin pie all year round. That when you eat it in season, that's when you know food is its freshest. So that's why we have seasonal meals because a lot of the seasonal meals are when these certain items are, or you know when the certain produce or vegetables or whatever it may be is at its you know finest, the best quality. And I can tell you, before we started this whole thing, I was guilty of not really knowing what the seasons were for the vegetables. You just kind of assume that. You can go out and buy anything anytime because you really can at the grocery store, but you don't know where it's coming from. So once we we started frequenting the uh, farmer across the street from us, um, I, I sort of started to get a grasp of the season and when things came out and when I could cook with those things just from the repetition of every season going and seeing what he was putting out. Yeah, that's always a good having the farm stand nearby. I think that's what you wanted to say. Farm stand. Yes. Got a little tongue tied. Farmer, sorry. But uh, <laughs> so the yeah, having a farm stand or having a farmer's market near you with local local growers, local producers, you're able to kind of gauge what's in season. Now, our farmers market that we go to, would during the season, the local producers have their own locally grown stuff, and they'll say that it's local, um, but otherwise they have it shipped in from all over the place. And that's another thing that um, Michael Pollan and Joel Salatin and all these guys, all these people are huge proponents in, you know, how far does your food travel? And we try to eat as much food in season per our area as we can, but it's not always something that's super feasible. And just thinking back, the moment it hit me when I knew that I was completely out of touch with what season things grew in. And it's almost comical. It makes me laugh to this day thinking about it. I got this great notion because as I mentioned on our very first podcast, I'm a baker. I love to bake. I love to create things with weird things. So I just got this notion one day, I'm going to make something with rhubarb. (laughs) And I remember driving around searching for rhubarb and it was probably the beginning of August. Mm -hmm. And I went to an Amish farm stand uh, somewhere around here. And I remember walking in and asking the Amish girl working there if she had any rhubarb. And I remember the look she gave me and the comical ways she said, like, no, (laughs) like, you are way out of season. That grows in the spring. And I felt so small, like I didn't even know when rhubarb grew. So it was at that moment I kind of felt like I needed to take note. Take note and 
and and educate myself on some things. The um one of the one of the very first books that I think we bought was Eating on the Wild Side by Joe Robinson, and um, she'll go through and list Joe Robinson's book Eating on the Wild Side. Basically, every it talks about every different kind of plant, and I think she talks about when each of them are in season mm-hmm. for different regions, and that's something that's uh, readily available on Amazon. And it, she even has a website. I think it's eatwild.com or go eat wild or I'll find it and put it on the blog. Well, and another good resource too is like I, t- to talk tonight, I just typed into Pinterest seasonal produce chart oh. and it gives you a huge list of things that are in season on Pinterest. On Pinterest. Yeah. Well, if you follow us on Pinterest, the beyond 24 days, I don't know, blog Pinterest page, <laughs> I will post that on there as well. Oh. well I'll, I'll be sharing you. pins. <laughs> We're so technological. We're so advanced. Yeah. So, um, yeah, do, if we want to go through some seasonal seasonal produce for each season and good examples of things to make with it. So I guess since we're in winter, we can start out with winter produce. And most people think that winter is a really desolate time of year that you're not going to get much fresh produce, but you would be surprised at the things that are that are in season during the winter months. Because even around here, there's still stuff growing. There are still people yeah. with fresh produce at market. Uh, my mom just sent me a picture of uh, lettuce that they just harvested. So they have their first January lettuce. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just because something is green doesn't mean that it's limited to just warm weather. So produce that is considered a good winter staple are beets and bok choy, cabbages, carrots and cauliflowers can grow well into the winter, chard, citrus fruits. This is always my favorite time of year. I actually on my own personal Instagram account just posted a picture the other day. I was so excited when I went to the market and I saw that blood oranges were back in season. It is my favorite time of year. And we've had blood oranges in the house for the last two weeks. As soon as we run out, I run out and get more in fear that they're going to be gone soon. (laughs) Yeah, they're pretty good. And as always, avocados from Mexico. Did you realize that was a commercial on TV? Yeah. They have like their own theme song. Go avocados. <laughs> so some other good winter produce. One that we just discovered this year by chance because Ken's aunt actually put it into a vegetable mix when we had dinner. I'm really growing on parsnips. Oh, yeah. I, I love the taste. If you've never had a parsnip, they look like a carrot. They are like a tan color. They have like a little bite to them. I just really can't even describe the taste. It's a sharp. Mm-hmm. It's like a sharpness. Uh, that's probably the worst word to use, but it does have like a sharp kind of a bite to like it. Like almost like a spicy, not yeah, hot yeah. spicy, but no. like almost like, hor- you know, like horseradish has a little bit of a, not, yeah. not as strong though. Um, doing, I'm doing a horrible job of explaining <laughs> what this tastes like. And just to round that off for the winter, a lot of root vegetables and root vegetables are great because they can be stored for long periods of time. So turnips and rutabagas, are great because you can just throw them in any kind of soup or roast them up. So those are some good picks for your your winter vegetables or produce, I should say, because fruits are included in that. So moving into spring, we found um, with our garden, we did start early this year, onions, peas, 
radishes were a great crop for us. And growing greens is one of the easiest things you can do. But I just caution you, if you can't eat a lot of greens, just be cautious of how much you plant because we really overplanted and we were swimming in greens this year. Yeah, I felt really bad. We we kind of overestimated the power of lettuce and we put... I don't know, like five or six rows, and we did all different types of lettuce, and it it all came in at once, and it was all delicious. But you can only eat we lettuce just, so fast. Oh, we could not eat it fast enough. And I would try to harvest as much of it as I could, and we tried refrigerating it and keeping it, and it just didn't didn't really last as long as I would have hoped. So this year, we're probably going to scale back the lettuce operation. But one of the things that Brooke had mentioned, lettuce, we could probably grow that throughout the entire summer. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably reduce the amount of lettuce, but we'll keep um, that plant going through probably as, for as long as we can. Let's see here. Some other really good spring crops, uh, obviously, are strawberries. You and rhubarb. S- rhubarb. Yeah. Hey, I was going to say that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, rhubarb comes up at about late April to mid-May. So if you're ever looking to incorporate that into anything, if you've never tried rhubarb, it's a quite different, unique taste. It looks like celery, but it tastes very tart. Mm-hmm. You put it in pie, it's delicious. But as I was going to say before you said rhubarb, strawberries. Yeah, sorry. Um, May, mid-May is when they hit their peak. And you can buy strawberries in the grocery store all year round. And you can find nice strawberries. Mm-hmm. Throughout the year, if they're coming from like California or wherever, but you will never find as good as strawberries to make things mid-May. We made a really good salmon last spring. It was salmon and it had a balsamic strawberry reduction over top. And we used Mm -hmm. some some fresh strawberries, I think, for market. I'll have to find that recipe. Yeah. I'll try to share that. I think we did, though. Oh. All right. Okay. Well... Jumping into the next season, obviously, I think most people know what's readily available to them in the summer. Bell peppers, tomatoes are a big thing, lots of berries. I love going to um, the farmer across the street. He always has black raspberries. Those are delicious. Squash, summer squashes, and zucchinis. If you look through our Instagram feed, you will see that in the summer, we use zucchini for a lot. Side dishes, we put it in soups. I shred it and I make lots of baked goods with our fresh zucchini. It's one of the, I guess, one of the staples for us. We, we're into the squashes, zucchini, cucumber, uh, green beans. We grow a lot of those and peas. Mm-hmm. We tried our hand at corn this year. That was like sort of a late summer um, crop. It I don't know. It it was good, but it just it was um it's it's a pretty large investment as far as the amount of area required for the corn because if you just have two or three stalks together, they're kind of weak on their own. So you have to do like rows, so it gives them some structural integrity. But it took up too much real estate, I think. I don't know if we'll do corn again. Maybe we'll do one long row around the perimeter. Yeah. Something different. A good late uh, fruit crop in the the summer is peaches, which is one of Ken's favorites. Mm -hmm. He's he's a sucker for a big, giant peach. Uh, If I could, I would be James from James and the Giant Peach, (laughs) and I would live inside of a peach. I don't know about the bugs, but 
I would definitely be chomping down on some peaches. <laughs> and obviously melons yes. are great that time of year. The one melon that I found this year and was extremely gluttonous on, I believe, is some sort of hybrid. It was called a honey lope, oh, half yeah. honeydew, yep. half cantaloupe. It was amazing. It was so sweet and so juicy, and I could not stop myself from buying them constantly and eating them all summer. Um, and beans, green beans, we always do, we always have a, a long row of green beans in our garden and they've always done so well. We get such a great yield out of them. Yeah. It seems like you can, the green beans and the peas, I feel like those are two crops. That if you, if you do grow those, don't go too crazy, but we have a good row of probably like a good 10, 12 foot row. And throughout the entire summer, as long as you trim it back and remove the produce that's growing, it'll just keep regenerating mm-hmm. more peas or green beans. And one final thing for our our summer growth that we always do in our garden, I love eggplant. Oh, yeah. that's Yeah, that's one that also, like, it takes a little bit longer than the peppers to fully mature, but that's one of the things that we always end up having, like, an abundance of peppers and then eggplants. We always do some sort of eggplant parm. It's like the big thing. Mm -hmm. We always have. And roasted eggplant, our kids love when you just take some eggplant and slice it really thin, put some Mm. spices on it, and just roast it in the oven. Yeah, our kids, I guess you could say they're kind of weird because they both, both of them like fresh produce. Um, Eggplants, when we do the zucchini stuff, our kids really like the zucchinis. Mm Mm-hmm. And going in, you would think that we do a, a fantastic summer garden in our house, but my favorite produce time of the year is actually fall. Hmm. We don't we cut our garden off here at the end of summer. We don't have a fall garden like some people do, but I do go across the street. It is my favorite time to buy produce, and I just love it. This year we experimented with so many different kinds of squashes. Oh yeah, yep. There the possibilities are endless with squash. You have spaghetti squash, butternut squash, and this year we tried buttercup squash, which are some of the most bizarre-looking squash. They're actually quite ugly. They look like something you would put on your porch at Halloween. Yeah. But they are so sweet and so delicious. Yeah, the um the squashes, I think I said that earlier, we do have a lot of we do eat a lot of squash. I I really like butternut. Mm-hmm. Is that what you just said? Well, was- we we did eat a lot of butternut squash, but the the one the really ugly yeah, gray yeah, looking that? one that's a buttercup. Okay, yeah, the butternut ones are the ones that I, we we did like a hollowed out butternut stuffed butternut squash. I think we have that recipe on the blog mm-hmm. as well. That was really good. Uh, broccoli and cauliflowers are plentiful in the fall, and you know I'm like nuts about buying cauliflower, but not just any cauliflower. And I don't know if it's a regional thing if other people don't have it because I've posted pictures of it before and people think that we've done this to the cauliflower ourselves. but our farmer across the street grows golden and purple cauliflower and it's amazing to me how some people ask us if we dye oh, yeah, the cauliflower yeah, purple and also the Romanesco or Romanesque Romanesque cauliflower yeah, yeah that's something that you don't see very often that's pretty cool because it looks like it has a very conical shape, and it's got so many little little nubs on it. I don't really know how to explain that, but 
the taste is, it tastes just like regular cauliflower, Mm -hmm. but it just looks funny. And my favorite vegetable, which I know is one of those things, everybody says, ew, yuck, but Brussels sprouts. Oh man, we right love off Brussels the sprouts. Stock. Yeah, that's we're pretty uh, with like we have a weakness with Brussels sprouts and broccoli and cauliflower and cauliflower that <laughs> pretty much dominates our plates for majority of the year. And if you're looking for some good fall fruit produce, obviously apples. Oh yeah, yep. Ken loves his Honeycrisp apples and Pink Lady are my favorite apples. And pears. Pears are also an another amazing fall fruit. Yeah. Uh, the apples, there is a place in upstate New York, and they have every variety of apple. They have this orchard that has like hundreds of different varieties of apples. I forget what research facility is. It was, again, in another Michael Pollan book that I read. I think it's Botany of Desire. I'm just throwing them all out there tonight. I have like <laughs> Ken's pick has taken over the blog. Sorry, guys. But um, it's a good book, and he talks about this orchard in upstate New York, and there's hundreds of apples, and I would love to go to an orchard like that and just sample apples all day. <laughs> I'm a sucker for apples. So I guess we're going to pull this all together with a little story before we take a break. Ooh, um, story time. Yeah. I was at the grocery store the other day. Surprise, surprise. I swear I live at the grocery store. The people there probably... Wonder why I'm there so much. We're regulars. What can we say? <laughs> but um, our local grocery store, and I know it's uh, a chain that's relevant in Pennsylvania, Maryland, Delaware, it, Giant Foods, Martin's Foods. If you go there and they offer you a magazine at checkout, I would suggest taking it. It's a free magazine that if you have one of their rewards or bonus cards that they'll give to you. And in like months past, I've always rejected it, fearing that it was just filled with, like, no offense, in my head, I would think crap recipes that were filled with things we just couldn't eat. So this time around, the cashier said to me, would you like a magazine? And when I looked down at the cover, it got me. The The meal on the cover looked amazing. There was avocados and greens and carrots in it. So... What's the name of the magazine? uh, It's called Savory, and it is put out by giant food stores. So I said, sure. And lo and behold, I brought this magazine home and kind of kicked myself for never accepting it before. I've noticed that grocery stores, especially small, smaller chains, are taking the initiative to go a little bit cleaner because I think of other grocery stores like Whole Foods and Wegmans who air a bit more on the healthier side. Right. It puts a lot more pressure on sort of the chains around us to compete with them. Sorry. All right. So the first page I opened up to said plant powered is best. Hmm. That's cool. And I was just quite shocked to look through it. It's filled with tons of recipes. And I'm going to say about 90% of them or something we would consider clean and things that we could make for ourselves. And there was even recipes in there for tofu. Not just one or two, but three, four or more recipes with tofu in it. Oh, I think I read that magazine. Oh, okay, yeah, I was looking through that magazine. Yeah, yeah, because you showed that to me, and you were like, what do you think? Huh. And... That's pretty cool. It's filled with coupons. 
And this is in no way discouraging to our BJ's membership, but mm. I used to get excited when our BJ's coupon book would come. And now it's like I flip through it and I'm like, meh, eh, eh, because 99% of the coupons that come from BJ are for processed food. They uh, never have coupons in their book for anything in their produce section or even a lot of their like healthy natural stuff. Yeah. And you know what? I don't know what it is. We haven't ventured the way of Costco yet. Everyone says Costco is better than BJ's, but every time we drive past Costco, it's it's, it's a like, madhouse. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't want to sit in there. So yeah, the coupons that came in this <laughs> magazine were for salad greens huh. and almond like food milk. Food that we actually would eat. Exactly. Huh. Um, there was even kind bar coupons in huh. there. Well, I guess that's one thing. If your grocery store has a preferred members program, well, I'm sure they do. Um, I would inquire to see if they do have a magazine or something like this. This is called Savory, and it's produced, like Brooke said, by giant food stores. And that is readily available in the, I guess, northeastern section of the United States. United States. Yeah, and they also started the initiative, too, which actually excited our kids to encourage younger children to eat better. They give any child under 10 years old a free piece of fruit to eat in the grocery oh, store you know, the so basket. that parents don't you know, offer them junk while they're in the grocery store. Hey, you know what I noticed too, is that they don't have the, or that, or we just blow past it, but uh, there used to be like a candy stand. Do they still have that? At the cash register? No, like they had like a, a carousel. You put like a quarter and you could take like hard candies I don't know, and stuff. They got rid of that. Yeah. So yeah. they got, yeah. See, so I think, um, with stores like Whole Foods, which they actually are building one in our area that were, I don't know. I'm kind of excited about it coming, but at the same time, I don't know. I kind of like our local stores as well. And we have a, a bunch of community health stores around here that mm-hmm. have really good deals on healthier foods. So, I mean, I guess if you're just a, a smart shopper, it's, it's all the same. But I look forward to Whole Foods coming here. I think it'll be pretty neat yeah. to have one so close. So, that's all I got to say. Oh, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Well, I guess this is probably a great time to take a break. But when we come back, we will we do doing? Ken's pick. Yes, yeah, I mean, even though you've mentioned a few books. Yeah, sorry. And then we will also go to Brooke to see what's cooking in the kitchen. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to jump right into Ken's pick because I'm pretty sure he's got a lot to say tonight. Well, a lot to say because you'll notice in the podcast, I throw out a ton of books because there is such a wealth of information out there about the benefits of clean eating. And that was one of the things that when we first started, we simply just didn't know and we I didn't know where to start. So it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose, but I feel like the more information I can give to you guys, the more our podcast kind of makes sense, why we do the things that we do. And it kind of serves as like a a validation to sort of spell out 
what we're doing and to sort of make sense of it all. Because because of my engineering background, I don't just like to enroll in a program and then not know why I'm doing certain things. So, you know, we didn't know where to start. So the documentaries were a great place, but it just wasn't enough. And I wanted to know the how and the why. And that's where all this came into play. So I, I have two book recommendations um, that I strongly suggest you guys read. And, um, you know, it, and also the books will serve as a, as a reference point, or maybe as a starting point for you. So the, the first book I want to talk about is Brain Maker by Dr. David Perlmutter. And he talks about the importance of establishing a healthy microbiome in our body. Our, our bodies are a host to numerous bacteria. And he focused a, a small section on having good gut bacteria and what it means to have good gut bugs. And, and basically, when the bacteria in our stomach thrive, we have a healthy stomach. So the, our stomach lining, the mucus that's produced that protects our, our body from, you know, our, the acids in our stomach from leaking into our body. The bacteria in our stomach help promote that mucus growth. The bacteria help in digesting of food and, and sort of attacking harmful bacteria that may enter into our systems. And so you'll notice people that are always sick, usually it comes back to leaky gut syndrome. Their bacteria in their stomach are weakened, and so that mucus layer or their stomach wall basically becomes more transparent, and that stomach acid seeps into our body and causes wreaks all kinds of havoc. And one of the issues with an antibiotic, antibiotics, and he briefly talks about antibiotics in the book, but antibiotics basically treat a very broad spectrum. There's no antibiotic that targets specific bacteria strands. So when you take an antibiotic, it attacks all bacteria in your system. So you can sort of see why the overusage of antibiotics can be bad for your health because it destroys your, your good gut bacteria. And so Dr. David Perlmutter doesn't really go into super in-depth about antibiotics because his book is also dedicated to eating healthy foods, how to establish a good microbiome in your stomach. And he gives you tips and suggestions on how to create an environment where good gut bacteria can thrive. And so I kind of put this book on the shelf, and after I read it, um, I thought it was you know, a super informative book. And um, fast forward to just a couple of weeks ago, we were at the library, and I saw this book, Missing Microbes, by Dr. Martin J. Blasser. And this is an in-depth research of antibiotics and the effects that it has on our system. So Missing Microbes talks about the effects of antibiotics, and the bacteria in our stomach. And I want to start off by saying that the invention of antibiotics were, um, they, they deserve a place in our medical history. They, de- they deserve our place in modern medicine. Because of the development of antibiotics, we were able to eradicate a lot of diseases that were common at the time, meningitis, you know, even things like Bacterial diseases that were transferred, you know, by the sexually transmitted or, you know, through um, unclean practices, unsanitary practices. 
So the use of antibiotics in early modern in early medicine was important to help eradicate some of the diseases at the time and essentially to save lives. He talks about how uh, sorry, I'm shuffling through all my notes. The issue is as time progresses, our bodies um, you know as as you age and as you mature, you're subject to around 13 rounds of different antibiotics. And this is good and bad because with each usage, um, the antibiotics target certain strands of bacteria and certain bacteria cells will start to develop an immunity to antibiotics. So the problem is the older you get and the more antibiotics that you subject your body to, the more likely that bacteria will develop an immunity to antibiotics. And this can lead to something, you know, scary like a superbug. And if you think about it, the 13 rounds of antibiotics that you receive until you reach maturity are, you know, antibiotics for when you're sick or you have a cold. And the problem doesn't lie there. The problem is antibiotics are used far before you're born. So you're introduced to antibiotics when you're in the womb. Pregnant mothers are given antibiotics before childbirth to help uh, as sort of like a preventative measure to prevent any sort of bacteria from contaminating their body and preventing any sort of illness. So those antibodies are basically passed from the mother to the child. The whole birthing process itself, why a traditional natural birth is promoted over cesarean, is because during the actual birth, without getting into too many gross details, bacteria from the mother are transferred to the baby, and those bacteria serve their purpose in establishing the new child's overall health. So when there's a cesarean section, you know, you lose a lot of that. So anyway, moms are fed antibiotics, they're transferred to the baby, so now you're introduced to antibiotics before you're even born, when you're born, every time you get sick, there's pressure on doctors to give patients antibiotics. And it even goes into the food and the water that we drink. In agriculture, animals are given a low dosage of antibiotics. One, in a commercial feedlot or in a commercial meat industry, animals are raised in a huge monoculture, which is just a host of, it's the perfect environment for bacteria to spread. So producers give these animals a low dosage of antibiotics to help build up an immunity to this bacteria. And also, it also builds body mass. So when we're talking about agriculture and we're talking about meats, the heavier your animals are, the more money that they're, you're going to receive. So it's a very, it's, you know, the more weight equals more profit. So animals are given a low dosage of antibiotics throughout their lifetime to help increase their body weight. And then we ingest these meats in turn, and we ingest more antibodies. And so this is where this whole scare of, you know, the overusage of antibiotics could lead to a superbug or, you know, a disease or a bacteria that traditional antibiotics just won't cure. Because one of the other issues is there isn't really any new development of antibiotics since the publishing of this book. I, I don't know if there has been any new developments, but since the publishing of the book, 
at the time, there were no new strands of antibiotics being developed to sort of attack any kind of superbug. And it's one of those things that if a superbug were to develop, it's kind of too late now to try to develop something right away to eradicate it. So that's one of the main issues of why the overusage of antibiotics aren't healthy for us. And then the other thing, the, the second point, was that the overusage of antibiotics also eliminate those ancient bacterias. And these are bacterias that exist from human to human that are usually passed along during childbirth or in other sort of factors. And the fear is that if we eliminate some of these ancient bacterias that are only existent in humans and only pass from human to human, what kind of effect does that have on our body if we eradicate some of these ancient bacterias? And he uses an example of, I'm probably going to butcher the name, H. pylorea, and the effects of eliminating this certain strand of bacteria. This strand of bacteria was originally linked to stomach ulcers and stomach cancer, and so in patients, they eradicated this strand of bacteria. Lo and behold, only to find out that it had adverse effects and that the patients all developed GERD, which is a form of constant acid reflux, which can lead to a whole other slew of issues. So without these ancient bacterias in our system, there's a fear that we are going to lose some of the immunities that we have now and will become a weaker species. So anyway, you know, these, these book reviews aren't designed to be a comprehensive book review, but it's just sort of kind of my spin of what I've taken from this. Well, I think these kinds of books are good to read because, yeah, they're not about the food. Right. But you need to know what's going on inside your body first in order to make better food decisions for yourself. Anyway, <laughs> on a lighter note... Why don't we talk about what's cooking in the kitchen? Brooke, what's cooking? Everybody always likes to talk about food. Pretty much. We had some really good meals, and I am going to give myself a, a big pat on the back because I totally stuck to my meal plan. I didn't stray. We didn't eat a quick meal. I didn't deviate from what I told you guys that we were going to have this week. So I'm really excited to share that. That's pretty good. It's probably a record for us for at least a while. Yeah, considering how busy it's been around here lately, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. I, I try not to get too hung up on people using the holidays as an excuse, but I, I swear ever <laughs> since like Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, we have just been thrown off when it comes to our food, planning-wise. All right. Well, so we started our week with a black bean soup which was awesome. Mm -hmm. It was very minimal ingredients. I even remember looking over the ingredients and thinking, huh, this is it, huh? It was literally one can of whole black beans. We took another can of black beans and stuck that in our Nutribullet with about a cup of water. And that's how we formed the base of the black bean soup. Um, and there was some onion and red and green pepper and that was it. There was really, I think, a little bit of chili powder and cumin went into that. But other than that, there was no other spices. It was very minimal. It was very minimal. And we topped that with some avocado slices and a little bit of chilua or sriracha, depending on our heat level in the house. 
And that sort of gave it the little kick that it needed. It was very thick. It was very filling. There was so many beans in it. It was just amazing. And we um we start. Uh, did you say avocado? I slices? did say avocado. That really helped sort of mellow out. It added like a smoothness mm-hmm. to everything. I thought it really garn. It was a perfect garnish for that dish. Next meal was. And I was so proud of myself for this meal, too. It smelled like we walked into Taj Mahal, which is the local Indian restaurant that we rave about and talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. I made a curried beef bowl with grass-fed beef, and I put that over a bed of brown rice. It was a curry of grass-fed beef, onion, potato chunks, and peas. And I served that with some roasted broccoli, which has become one of our favorite ways to eat broccoli. Just put a little bit of um, olive oil on it with a little bit of seasoning. Stick it in the oven. Don't overburn it, but... Like crispy. It's got... Yeah. It's not not that it's raw when you bite into it. It definitely does have that crisp, like, bite. You can tell it's not, like, overly cooked. Yeah, because I feel like when you boil... Broccoli, or sometimes even steam it. It just gets too mushy. Yeah. I like that crunch yeah, in it my kinda, broccoli. It kind of loses all of its flavor, mm-hmm. I feel like. It tastes like water. So the um, the beef bowls were like bursting with flavor. There was tons of curry, tons of curry, turmeric. Um, I don't even remember what else I put in there. Honestly, it was just, it just smelled like we walked into a straight up, Indian restaurant, and it also tasted like something that we would get at the buffet. Yeah, it it really, like, um, we st- we have a couple of boards on Pinterest, like Chinese Fake Out, Taste of India, and it literally, like, I couldn't describe how authentic, <laughs> for, as th- as, for as authentic as we are, but it, it really was really good. Next meal was a little bit of, um, had a little bit of shock value to it. I didn't realize the the different like taste level. I did a chicken, just a plain old chicken breast, sauteed it in a pan, and then I made a raspberry sauce to go over it. Mm. And when you hear raspberry sauce, you're thinking it's gonna be sweet, and it was sort of sweet, but it had a secret ingredient of pureed chilies and adobo sauce. So sweet heat. It was, yeah, exactly. Sweet heat. You took that first bite, you got the raspberry, and then all of a sudden the chilies and adobo sauce just hit your mouth and mm-hmm. made, it, your mo- made your nose run a little bit. Yeah, it was almost, it took some of the sweetness and made it a little bit more like tart than it was sweet. So, you know, it, you had that initial bite of sweetness, but then it went sort of like tart and then really spicy and then it, it kind of mellowed out. I don't know. That was that was pretty cool. We served that with tricolored quinoa and some sautéed asparagus with Mrs. Dash on top of it. Then the next day, and this is quite a shock, uh, just looking at it right now, we have 76 likes, which is pretty high for us on the Instagram account. We had a breakfast night mm-hmm. for dinner. And I found this amazing uh, hot cereal recipe using Bob's Red Mill 10-grain hot cereal. Shout out to Bob's. Yeah. We've been using his products a lot. Their products, I should say. Yeah. 
and we're starting to really yep. really enjoy some of the things we've been getting. Bob's Red Mill and Bragg's are like the two mm-hmm. two brands that we really enjoy. So this was um, you used his hot cereal as a base, water and almond milk, and then you mixed in cocoa powder and a slew of spices that would basically are like a chai combination, hmm. cardamom, cinnamon, um, a tiny bit of salt, and um, I said cocoa powder. Yep. I did, oh, and maple syrup to give it a little bit of sweet, pure maple syrup. That's where all my maple syrup got yeah. to. Mm-hmm. So this was called a chocolate chai oatmeal, and I was so excited. I went to the natural food store down the road the other day, and I do see that the almond companies have now come out with a new product, almond milk yogurt. New to us. New to, I don't know. I, it's, it's something new that I've been seeing popping up in a hmm. lot of the natural food stores. Um, so I got one small container of that just to try it out, a plain yogurt, no, no um, flavor in it. And I put a dollop of that plain almond milk yogurt on top of everybody's bowl of oatmeal and then sprinkled that with some special dark chocolate chips. Served that up with just some plain fried uh, farm-raised eggs mm-hmm. and fruit salad that, of course, had some blood oranges in it. Of course. Of course. Yeah, that actually... Um, so the the oatmeal itself is not really... Uh, that's the first time we've used the Bob's Red Mill... Um, hot cereal, and it's almost like a not a porridge. A cream of wheat. Yeah, it's almost like cream of wheat. That's what it reminded me of. It's not so much like oatmeal. Oatmeal, oatmeal you think of oatmeal, it's like thick and chunky, and this was more of like cream of wheat, Smooth. which yeah, which I really enjoy. So you know, and also you know, if we're looking for sponsors for the uh, podcast, Bob's Red Mill. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended our week. Oh, I digress. Let's go back. The, the one night uh, Ken was actually away, so it's okay. You don't always have to do these spectacular meals when you're trying to eat clean. You can go simple. Ken went away for a guy's retreat this weekend. The kids and I were left at home, and I figured, why make an overly complicated meal for just the kids and I? So it's okay to do that some nights, but keep it clean. I just pulled out some turkey burgers, and we had turkey burgers. And instead of making a pre-bagged french fry... I took some organic blue potatoes that I found at the natural store and I wedged them, put a little bit of olive oil and seasoning on them, and we had blue potato wedges and turkey burgers for dinner while you were gone. Hold up. Did you guys eat all the blue potatoes? Mayhaps. Ah, oh, man. Sorry. See that? I go away one night and you guys eat all the blue potatoes. <laughs> oh, well. So, and as promised, we ended our week with a super awesome meal, as Ken would say, slamming salmon. Slam, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was a honey sriracha salmon. I want to make sure that I Google slamming salmon because I want to make sure that's not like a bad thing. But <laughs> I, I just think it's because it hits out of the ballpark, man. It's so good. <laughs> and the honey sriracha, I have to admit, that sriracha on its own is pretty, I mean, it can be pretty spicy, especially if you overdo it. But the honey sriracha is like a sweet heat. Mm-hmm. It's very sweet at first. And because you, um, what's the word you were saying? You thin it? No. 
reduced it. Oh, you reduced it. I'm learning new words. Um, when you reduce it, it makes it more of, um, it's like almost like caramelized. And then when it cooks on the salmon, it definitely caramelizes even more. And it's like, it's so good, man. You know, it was good because I had another piece of salmon tonight, which that never happens. Dipping into my leftovers. I make salmon. (laughs) I eat it because I know that it's good for me, but eating fish is actually something that I have not forced myself to do, but you've you've grown on it. I've grown on it. It was never my thing before we started our clean eating adventure. So that was our meals for this past week. If you are following along on the Instagram and Facebook and the blog, these are what you have to look forward to in the upcoming week. Our meatless Monday meal for this upcoming week is lentil pot pie. Ooh. Yeah, it looks um, it looks interesting. It's like a, a bed of lentils and tomatoes underneath with homemade vegan biscuits on top to make the crust. That's almost like the three bean vegan casserole that we made. Um, sort of. Well, a little bit different. This has lentils in it, and that was a vegan cornbread oh, okay. that went on top. These are biscuits, ah. so I'm excited to see how that's going to go. Our soup Tuesday is going to be an Italian turkey burger soup. Unfortunately, I only have one more um, container of venison from my brother's uh, haul this year. Oh, man. So I am going to make apple venison mini meatloaf cups. Hmm. We are going to have a sweet and spicy tilapia. And I have talked about this next meal before. It was something that I had promised to make. I never got around to making it because, and we're going to go back and reference last week's podcast, I had a heck of a time finding a Bloody Mary mix that did not have high fructose corn syrup in it. So I never was able to make my Bloody Mary chili. I have to be like, I can't. Make something and lie to you guys out there listening to us and tell you that it was clean in my conscience if I knew it really wasn't clean. <laughs> yeah, that's difficult. So I finally found a Bloody Mary mix that is all natural ingredients. So I'm really excited. We're going to do the Bloody Mary chili this week. And we are going to do a dragon bowl that can be made either vegan or non-vegan. I guess it could still be... <clears throat> Excuse me. Vegetarian. Vegetarian because you can put egg in it. Oh, okay. Hmm. What version are we going with? Are we going to try vegetarian or vegan? Whichever anybody would like. I think we could do a little bit of both. Well, if we're reaching out to our audience, if you guys are listening to this, let us know. Should we go vegan or vegetarian for our Dragon Bowl? Huh? 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 Right. <laughs> anyway. Is that everything? That's everything. Oh, man. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, we certainly want to thank you guys for joining us again. Next week, um, since it is going to be sort of gearing up for me for racing season, I thought the next podcast I would talk a little bit about running and why it's so near and dear to my heart. And also just some kind of very basic beginning, a a beginner's guide to running, I guess. And um, yeah, kind of see where it goes from there. And I'd like to throw in... Just a few of our tips and tricks that we use 
to help uh, keep ourselves on the right path. All right. Well, that sounds wonderful. Well, guys, thanks. It's been really fun, and we hope that you will join us again next week, and we will see you all then. So thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.